Hello and welcome back to Star Wars Minutes. That uh, podcast wait, wait, wait. where we analyze Star Wars. What are you talking about, Star Wars? This is this is Die Hard Minute. No, no, this the is wrong the, show. This is, this is the no, no, John, no, no. You try to trick me. We got this mix up last time, but it's, it, we're doing the Star Wars Minute today. I made sure I put it down. It's in writing. Nah, it's, no, it's you've got this all mixed up. We're doing Die Hard. Bruce Willis. We did Die Hard yesterday. Oh, God damn it. Nope, change the tape. We're going into Die Hard Minute. It's off for Christ's Hello, and welcome back to Die Hard Minute, the podcast where we and all your other favorite podcasters analyze, scrutinize, and... Uh, Something clever eyes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, the film Die Hard, one minute at a time. I am one of your hosts, Niall McGowan. And I am another one of your hosts, John Parker. And uh, we both hail from uh, Bat Minute 89. All the way from Gotham. Yep, so plug, plug, plug. Today we're joined by a friend of the podcast and friend of Bat Minute 89, one Ricky Wiley. Hello, Ricky. Hello. Oh, I was genuinely hey. worried that your mic had broken that <laughs> again or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, today we're here to talk about uh, Minute 22 of Die Hard. Minute 22 begins with all of John McClane's little pickies going to market. And uh, it ends one minute later with Carl wandering in and singing a happy tune. Oh, that's quite cute. And yeah. I'm glad you know his name because I've forgotten all of their names despite researching them for hours. <laughs> well, he's like so the main one. He's like, it's him, it's Hans and Carl. Like, it's like the two I, main ones. I know Hans, obviously. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> you want to host Die Hard Minute. This is Christ's sake. Anyway, so we, so we uh, yeah, I guess we might as well uh, just jump straight in here. So we get, uh, we do get like a split second of Carl's brother Tony amongst his pool of wires from last minute, but then it quickly cuts to a foot fetishist stream of a <laughs> close up of Bruce Willis's feet. <laughs> yeah, Quentin Tarantino is going to be having a field day with this. Oh yeah, yeah. Maybe this could be why. Like he he saw this and he's like, I want, you know, he's making Pulp Fiction. He's like, I want that guy. I like the cut of his gym. <laughs> Well, does he like men's feet as well as women's feet? I've only noticed the women, but Bruce, if you notice, he's got a nice hair-free foot. He's, uh, you know, he's not just losing it on his head. He's got a, he's not a hobbit. He's had some work done. Yeah, they don't let you into Hollywood without. Uh, you got to maintain that stuff. They've got, uh, they've got plastic surgeons for feet. <laughs> I mean, we're just podcasters. I just have a foot waxer come in twice a week. <laughs> I can imagine it probably it could have been a legitimate concern for Bruce, where he's like. You're going to be in your bare feet like 98% of this film. So <laughs> you, you want them to look their best? You know, you don't want any yeah, old yellow those, toes um, and oh. hang, this old haggard toenails. <laughs> all that's kind of crack, you know. But I suspect he probably got a uh, fish pedicure. Oh, was that a thing back then? Maybe he, maybe he popularized he pioneered it. it. Yeah. <laughs> he created it. Have any of you ever had a, a fish pedicure? No, no. I think I no. feel too weird, to be honest. Don't lie, guys. Come on. Just, we're all friends here. You can tell me. <laughs> uh, only 12 or 13 times. I mean, you know, that, that's, a, that's an amateur. Mm. You've just stuck your toe in. <laughs> just my little toe and maybe one of those. Yeah. Mm. Nobody wants to see my feet. They're mangled. <laughs> so, <Aww. yeah. laughs> I just think I feel awkward in that situation of having to sit and be like, sitting with the bare feet and just the people around you just like oh, how's it going and you're just like 
yeah fine <laughs> like i can't go for like massages and stuff too it feels i'm too socially inept to for that to be like a comfortable situation like, the whole time the whole experience is supposed to be you know the relief of stress but it'll be just more stressful for me because it's just like oh really god awkward. i think i might actually be able to help you out with that to kind of break the tension because i am actually taking massage lessons oh, oh okay okay that's slightly peculiar <laughs> okay. well it's a touchy subject. Oh. <laughs> oh, hang on. Give me a second. <laughs> oh, God. Why is that on standby? Get rid of that. <laughs> oh, God. We're all better than all of this. Oh, start a- yes. Let's start again with a higher standard. <laughs> well, we're not just seeing a shot of John's feet. He's doing that toe-squeezing trick he was told about earlier in the movie. Mm. Have any of you ever tried this? Because I have travelled a lot throughout the years... But I've never given this a shot because jet lag's never really been a thing for me. I, yeah. I just have a, a sleep at the normal time. Like, I pretend I've not changed time zones and I'm back to normal within a few hours. Mm. So. <laughs> See, like, I think the longest flight I've ever had has been, like, three hours. So, yeah, jet lag hasn't Jesus. been... It's never been a, a a thing for me. It's just like I've never I've been out of the country, but I've never been in any long haul flights. So it's like eh, oh maybe I mean it'll be a thing I'll have in my back pocket for whenever I do. It'll be like, well, I know that thing from Die Hard's supposed to work, but well, you should try a nine hour flight with a three hour stop in Dubai. That's <laughs> that was stressful, but I still didn't do this. Well, I I didn't I didn't get why I feel like. Wasn't Bruce Willis, like, struggling on the flight? Didn't they say, like, oh, you're a bad flyer? And he was like, yeah, a bad flyer. Kind of indicating, it felt to me like he was indicating that he was, like, a bit scared of flying. Flying him made oh, him yeah, nervous. Oh, yeah, I think he is a little bit. And then the guy that comes out with, oh, well, the key to surviving um, air, uh, long flights is to do this this thing. When you touch down, it's better than a shower and a... Massage oh, okay. with a happy ending or something. To but like, like de-stress. But yeah, but that's it. It seems to be like kind of like, oh, well, if you get stressed on planes, what you should do is wait until you get off the plane and then do this. <laughs> it's like you're off the plane then. The whole thing just, I couldn't quite get my head around it. If <laughs> See, like, I was also thinking like it might have been like a kind of queasiness as well. Like it just feels really sick. Yeah, yeah. And then it's just like, well, once you're off the plane, then you can relieve that sickness by potentially doing this but again that's another thing of like yeah. it's not helping me in the moment like <laughs> i do like the way we've all got uh, our own approach to this though like that we've read it three different ways that's very interesting it just speaks to the the, the greatness of this movie but i think we can all agree that bruce willis isn't scared of the plane that he's on in this minute where he's sat in a bathroom of a large building <laughs> no no and he certainly doesn't seem scared of planes in the second movie mm. oh yeah for sure yeah, oh, they, yeah. They, 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 i can't remember it because it's been a while since i've seen the second one did they go into him and his anti-plane oh make sure to take off your, your shoes and socks and scrunch up your toes in the carpet malarkey is it just like oh no we forgot about that <laughs> i i, I haven't remember. seen it probably for longer than than since you've seen it but i can say with utmost certainty there's definitely some kind of man. I always say flying. Oh, I said I hated flying. Oh, what was it? One thing as well, because I was like trying to reach for like 
you know, worried that like we wouldn't have any content for like, what the hell are we talking about? Um, <laughs> and I, I decided to look into uh, just I was thinking about like, you know, like, oh, yeah, the foot fetishists will be all into this when they. Uh, <laughs> so, wait, uh, what have you been researching? <laughs> I'm, I'm researching a podcast, honest. <laughs> Hon- honest, dear. <laughs> well, uh, specifically back with Die Hard. <laughs> Die Hard? What are you talking about? Die, uh, the, the movie, the movie. You know. um, are you men? Vest men? Oh, no, no. I've never been a, I've never been uh, a vest guy. We are Devo. <laughs> Am I the only vest man? I, I'm a vest man. I, I enjoy a nice vest. I'm, I'm wearing one now. Uh, I'm, 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 like, I'm a guy I like the... I go for a t-shirt, but then I'm like I'll, out and about too. I'm usually like, nah, I'm all long sleeves. I don't know. It's just a thing with me. It's like long sleeves and a collar at all times. I just like it. Mm. It's, like, it's, a, it's a comfort thing. But um, yeah, you, you know, you're not alone. It does seem old fashioned. Um, people always think it's a bit peculiar. But you know, I'm, I'm a vest guy. I'm not going to swerve from that. They're pretty cool. Pretty comfortable. Like the the classic vest. Like you're wearing you now. As I talk to you now, you're yes. wearing a John McClane vest. Yeah, almost exactly the same. As it is here, not later in the film, I do wash. But just without pants. Well, I mean, that goes without saying. You know, just the vest. That's all I'm wearing. I've never seen the advantage. Why not just wear another T-shirt, like a smaller T-shirt underneath, if, if you think it's going to be cold? I also have, I suppose I have thermal vests, but they have short T-shirt-like sleeves. And I feel like even though they're marketed as thermal vests, I think we all know, I think if we're all being honest with ourselves, we know that they're just thick T-shirts. Mm. <laughs> hey, I wear thermal... Every winter, I'm I'm rocking those thermals, mm. both top and bottom. <laughs> I, I do remember when um, Die Hard 4 came out, that the Total Film oh. released... Uh, they re- like the, the, the month it came out, they released a, you know, the magazine and had a free little mini vest with it and celebration oh, of Die God. Hard 4 coming out. <laughs> I remember I actually kept it because I put it on like a beer bottle because that was the size of it. And I had that for years. Wait, <laughs> wait what? I, I was expecting at least a human size. Oh, like no. A, small, it, a size small. No, no. It was a proper miniature vest that you could put on, like, I guess, it's like an action figure, or like a, a G.I. Joe what or something. The hell? But it was. Uh, they could have at least given you something practical. Come on, go to Primark. Oh, come like, on. It's a uh, film magazine. It's like I, I wasn't expecting anything from them. It's like they, they don't owe me anything. <laughs> They're already giving me stuff. So. You're giving them your business. And they can't even give you a vest. <laughs> I think the um, we see the the this might actually be the introductory shot of uh, John McClane's vest tuft, which I don't think oh, you see. Yeah. He, he, and he really does have a serious tuft going on, doesn't he? It's it's I I, I wish I had a tuft in that place where he has a tuft just sticking out the top of his vest. Is is there a non? Have we spoken about anything so far that's not erotic? <laughs> Yeah, considering this is supposed to be a PG podcast, apparently, um, we should probably swerve slightly. Um, I, I will bring up one thing that I'm sure every single person listening has noticed, and I have never, ever, ever spotted in my life, despite having seen this movie constantly since I was a child, Bruce Willis's scar. Oh, yeah. On his shoulder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, I didn't know. I was, I, I was completely taken aback by this. I don't know... Why I've never seen it, but I looked into it and it's his real scar. That's not the character. I, I really? was blown away. Yeah, yeah, that's actually Bruce Willis's. He, he had an injury to the shoulder, and that's a, that's a real scar that he's got. Mm. Was he? Uh, did he fall off a horse while filming Batman? Is that this shoulder injury? <laughs> Every movie injury was caused by falling off a horse filming Batman. <laughs> 
If people don't know what we're referring to there, you should listen to Fat Minute 89, where we talk at length about uh, Sean Young falling off a horse. Shout out to Sean Young. (laughs) But even though that's a pre-existing scar, that's not a mistake that it's prominent in the shot. Um, They they definitely wanted it in there. And I think it's one of the... I don't think that you that you can say too much about Die Hard and that's a, that goes in Die Hard's favor. I think one of the the good things about the film is it's so efficient oh, yeah. and economical with its storytelling. Like every it's it's a self-contained little thing. I don't think it warrants any kind of expanded universe at all and all the sequels and all that nonsense. I think it's a, a beautifully <laughs> it's beautifully. I think it's a very well-crafted little story and so much of that is down to the fact that it kind of it keeps the pace and the information coming forward and the characters are set up just with little the way the characters are introduced and the way the characters are reinforced is through things like oh there's just you see the scar there or um or you know subtle things like uh bruce uh john mcclain finding out that his wife is using her maiden name and all these little things are all woven oh. into the story or just placed in the shot without it being like look at this that he is like this and he is a this type of person yeah it tells you a lot about his character immediately just by seeing the scar yeah. it doesn't need to tell you oh he's a he's a tough new york cop mm. like you you get the picture maybe he's been wounded in uh, you know in the line of duty mm. Yeah, like I think there's there is no way. Even though I'm sure Bruce Willis probably uh, got the real life scar by hanging up his washing or something like that. I think we all <laughs> we all know for a fact that John McClane got the scar in the line of duty. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Well, I've just started in preparation for this reading the which will upset you there, Ricky. The prequel comic book prequel yeah we are gonna we are gonna bring up the prequel comic book at some point for better or worse (laughs) i i I, um i did try to acquire it over the internet through legitimate sources uh but the legitimate sources were less than forthcoming so i've actually got a copy of it we can aid you ricky we can aid you you know legitimate businessmen who can uh But you the, know what? There's, there's some. There's something about. I think there's something a bit left field about doing a Die Hard prequel in this day and age. You know, maybe somebody's got a really cool story to tell about it, and that's great. Um, it's when you get to the Fast and the Furious Die Harder Six or wherever we're up to now. I think it's 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 you know cynical. Well, wow. That's the thing. Cause it, there is a Die Hard Six coming, and it is at least part prequel. Is it, is it not? Well, it's, it's set in Japan for some reason. Oh God! I suppose this will be a thing we'll talk about when we when we touch on the prequel comic properly. But it, you know, half the appeal of Die Hard is the fact that like you know John McClane is an everyman. Like he's a you know it's a tough New yes. York cop, but you can't imagine that like, yeah he's got this injury, but that could have been just from like a you know a, a mugging you know breakup that got that went wrong or something like that. Exactly. You don't you you picture like when he's. You know, like about to throw himself off the top of the building with the hose wrapped around him, and he's literally saying to himself, "Like, oh Jesus Christ, please don't let me die." It's like he's absolutely terrified because he's never done anything like this before. And if you put in a prequel that it's yes. like, "Oh, he's been in big high octane action adventures before," it kind of ruins the fact. It's like, no, this is the first time yes. that this has happened to him. He's 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 just barely surviving this. Like, it's it's completely out of his element yeah. the whole time. A thousand times, yes. It would totally ruin this film. Yeah. Well, because this was, um, I'm sure some other hosts have mentioned this already. One of the people originally lined up to play the part was Arnold Schwarzenegger, mm. oh, which would be a completely different film. It would be. I think it was originally written. Well, not originally written, but it was 
when he was brought on board going to be a sequel to Commando. Yeah, yeah, that was the wow. a period where it was it was going to be as far as I understand it was going to be like because it, it is like the novel it's based on as a sequel to The Detective which was made into a film with Sinatra and then they wanted him for a sequel but it didn't work out. And then I think at that point they're retooling and it was going to be Commando 2 and then for whatever reason that, you know, fell apart and um they retooled it as Die Hard, and it's like, well, you know, for the, for yeah, the better, was, like, infinitely for the better, really. Well, but. They've said the reason they cast Bruce Willis was because he was a, uh, like a down-to-earth TV actor. Yeah. So they knew oh, he can play an everyman, whereas Arnold Schwarzenegger, that would have been a, such a different film. It like probably would have been great, don't get me wrong, but it wouldn't be this movie. <laughs> Even though I'm, I'm, I am weirdly supportive of Arnold Schwarzenegger as an actor, you get, I think he gets a lot of <laughs> and I think, I don't know if... I have spoken to you about this before, but if you've seen like Arnie's like first films, we're talking like Hercules in New York. Oh yeah. 1970s <laughs> films where he literally can't, he can't even read the lines that are clearly just out of shot. The progress no, he that he makes, he can't speak. Yeah. The progress that he makes as an actor, I think is really, it's quite inspiring, but <laughs> he's not, he's not got a broad range and the films where he tries to be a bit more of a domestic everyman, like true lies and that type of thing. It just doesn't sit well at all. I don't, I mean, to I be fair with uh, true lies though, like that's intentionally like, it's supposed to be comedic that he's supposed to like he's trying to play this boring down to earth guy when he's clearly one he's a super spy and two it's Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> I think they're, they're kind of playing <laughs> off the right. fact that like oh yeah it's just, it's ridiculous well, looking. <laughs> but, I did are. enjoy him recently in that zombie movie though Maggie, mm. where he was playing like a just a dad. That was a that was a very interesting part. For yeah, him. yeah. You can uh, even see like the because um, I think maybe in like now in his twilight years he's like well I need to bump up my acting credentials so I can move into other things. So remember like when we watched um Escape Plan, the thing with him oh, and yeah, that was him cool. and Stallone in a you know, it's like Stallone's designed a prison that no one can break out of, not even him and all this kind of like and, um, <laughs> I've, I've never heard of this. Oh it's it's, oh, it's, it's actually it's, it's all right, yeah. But uh, there's a bit where I think Arnie's trying to fake like he's trying to cause a distraction. So he he fakes like he's having like a religious revelation. And he starts like falling to his knees and like praising, you know, uh, he starts speaking in German and all this sort of stuff, or Austrian or whatever, like his, you know, his mother tongue is. And uh, yeah, German, yeah. I think, isn't it? Oh, actually, I don't know. Actually, <laughs> sorry, German and Austrian <laughs> listeners. But uh, you can see that there's a real like, oh, he's trying to act here, and it's like, it's, the thing is, he's not bad either. It's like, oh no, he's actually he's pulling us off. So it's oh, fair play to him. I think that's what's behind Maggie. Is he like? It's kind of like, well, I can. Uh, when I'm old, I want to be able to go like, yeah, someone might hire me to play like a, you know, a, a retired general who's not doing much, but at least he's got a bit of emotional clout to, to, to something, you know, that kind of thing. But yeah, yeah, maybe he's trying to get in on Bruce Willis. Yeah, I think uh, you can't, you can't keep doing. He can't keep being Arnie and being in films. No, um, no, doing doing Terminator a thousand. Although yeah, he I think is, you, you, you're right about. I know he will do Terminator a thousand, but he, he must oh, stop. Apparently he is, he yeah. I, I think somebody should come back from the future to stop Arnie doing any more Terminator films. <laughs> uh, I think the, uh, the you were saying that like the idea, I was quite looking forward to reading this um, 
diehard comic but you, you, you've hit the nail on the head there completely that's like he, you have to think that this is the first time he's had all all this crazy stuff and the explosions and everything going off and it undermines the story it'd be like if there was a robocop prequel where you found out that murphy had actually become a bit of an android before robocop <laughs> he had <laughs> robotic then, limbs or robotic something. limbs but then they, they changed it all back by the end and it's like yeah this is like his third or fourth time around <laughs> so that business with the uh... Just all of Smallville, where it's just like, oh, it's his journey to becoming Superman, but he's fought every single Superman villain before he's even put on the suit. It's like, oh, what's he going to do now he's Superman? He's already defeated them all. It's just like, but, um, but anyway, I suppose we should get back to the, uh, the action of the minute. So here John opens his wallet, but he's, uh, he's taken aback by the pictures of his family that he's still got yeah. in there. And I, I feel really sorry for him because he doesn't seem like a bad guy. He's not really done... He's not done anything too wrong to his wife, has he? He's not, you know, he's not awful. One of these things I was going to pause at this like in a, in a minute when, um, well, not in a minute, but in a couple of seconds when there's a song playing that might be like, is this trying to tell us something? Ooh. Yeah, so it seems to be like, from what we know is that, yeah, like Holly's very ambitious and she's pursuing a career. And because she's moved away, that's made the marriage strained. So we don't really, but the thing is like, what else is he? We know John McClane's, a, you know, particularly in the sequels at least, is that a guy who likes a drink and stuff and like we know him as kind of like yeah. oh affable lovable oh he's like a good guy he's your, he's your buddy john mcclain but at the same time we could be seeing hey. like, there could be a whole dark side to john mcclain we're not seeing <laughs> that's just like yeah they don't they don't tell you in the, in the film about like oh, you know, all the you know the, the horrible rows he's had and like the nights he didn't come home and things like that you know <laughs> Well, maybe that's, that is what it is, mm. yeah. I mean, because you get the, as you say, you get the impression from the movie that it's just because she's moved away. But she seems really hostile to yeah. him, specifically. Oh, yeah, yeah. So he must have done something. Whereas, again, the movie just seems to imply that he didn't want her to move away and that annoyed well, like a, But there, there's definitely something more going on. I think it could be like a thing. It's a minor commentary on just career women and like old-fashioned men because we, what we know of like john mcclain's that he likes you know roy rogers and like the old cowboy movies and stuff and he's got a very i'm the man and like you know and then the, the the woman should be you know looking after my family and all this kind of thing and he's just like he's, he's like an old he's got that kind of old western mentality it could be that they try to make some kind of commentary in the fact that, like no she's it's the 80s now she's a woman who wants to go off and have her own career independent of the family and that he he yeah. he has friction with this so I think you're, you're, you're right there. It's one of the things where I kind of, when you were saying earlier that uh, John McClane's like an everyman, and you're definitely right. The way the story's written is like we're supposed to see things through his eyes. And like he does feel, he feels scared when he's in scary situations. He's not like a, um, a an unfeeling macho hero or anything like that. I also think when you say, when you think of him as an everyman, I just think that we, because we view the world through like a white bloke lens we feel like he's in everyone but i think there's a probably a lot of people in the world who probably can't identify that strongly mm. with um oh yeah maybe, with john yeah. mcclain and um that's i think that's kind of the thrust of the whole film and i can't tell whether the film is doing this knowingly um or not but it's like john mcclain is is the white man mm. And every in every scene, he runs into some kind of well, the world's changed now, Mister White Man, and it's not all about you. Yeah. 
and it's reinforced in all these different ways. Like he, he's Argyle, is it? The um, who we're going to see in a moment, yes. who's like listening to the really loud brash music that you can tell John McClane like has no interest in because um, it's not country or whatever it is that Bruce Willis does in his free time. Um, and <laughs> oh, we're Mr- going to touch on that later. <laughs> who's the who is the king of Nakatomi Plaza? Who's who's uh, Holly's boss? Oh, the Mr. Takagi, isn't it? Yeah, Mr. Takagi. There's a bit where even though he's like, they take pains to say that he's like an all-American Japanese person, uh, even he makes like a comment about how like Pearl Harbor didn't work, so now we're taking you over with tape recorders or something like that. And he makes some kind of <laughs> he makes some kind of sly joke which John McClane doesn't laugh at, um, which is kind of like especially in the eighties where. Japan was this huge thing and and Japan was becoming like this um, ever more powerful presence and it's just kind of like it's it's this everything is set up as this white bloke who's used to everything being based around him and now he's knocked off balance in so many different ways um, and yeah, I don't know whether the film is 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 choosing to do that because that's what the world was like, or it wants people to think about that, or is the film doing all this so it can have the white man go and kick everybody's ass and show everyone who's boss? Ultimately, <laughs> I really don't reestablish know. the order. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It, it does seem like because at the end of the day, it is like he does prevail over everything. It's like his old his 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 way of things ends up saving the day essentially, and. Uh... <laughs> The white yeah. man's way is right. It's the white man's way is right. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's quite telling in that okay, it's not it's not our mandate to talk about this moment because I'm sure they'll be analyzed to death when it actually comes up. But you know, there is a very telling thing in that what actually kills Hans Gruber is him slipping. Like, he's cling, clinging on to Holly's watch, the one that she was given by her, like, her boss and working for Nakatomi. Oh, yes. When they slip off that watch, that's when he finally falls. That seems to be a very telling, like, well, now she's cast away the shackle of this new career and that everything that Hans Gruber is like this ultra capitalist, you know, um, foreign invader is, you know, he's he's, he's supposed to be a spokesperson of like, oh, he he pretends he's all about, you know, socialist ideals. And he's, you know, this this is a terrorist thing he's doing, but he's actually just an ultra, ultra capitalist fancy suit wearing thief, like an ultra yuppie almost like, um, but the thing, yeah, they're, they're, at the end of the film, it does have like a, a kind of like, no, you know, McLean's way one. So it's kind of like it is reestablishing, you know, it's it's. it's... <laughs> I was reading something online that was, and I'm not sure whether I go for it or not, but I suggest it. For, it's just a, a WordPress blog someone wrote about uh, saying that Die Hard is a feminist film. And I'm oh. not sure whether I completely buy it, but it's kind of like what we've been alluding to here, like saying like, okay, so Bruce has to reestablish control, but it's saying that he does that by adopting more a more feminine approach to things than he previously had. Like he was at the start of the film, like that's kind of his arc. At the start of the film, he's a bit more of a, like puts his foot in his mouth and he's abrupt and rude with his wife and he's a bit more of a sulky bloke and he kind of learns through learns to kind of like take a step back from things and ask for help from people and think about things a bit more instead of like charging being headstrong i'm not sure whether i completely buy it i hope it's true because otherwise the film is just about um macho westernism (laughs) well if it is true though they they do throw it out completely Hmm. with the sequels Especially the third one, because he's gone. Mm. He's got even worse. Than <laughs> I know, there could movie. be something to that, <laughs> yes. and that, like, I guess maybe his 
because the way he actually does, you know, ultimately win the day with like shooting hands is a very, it's not going in all guns blazing. He's literally, he has to be a bit more clever. Back in the minute. You know, speaking of uh, boring white people, uh, <laughs> because we see John McClane's the picture of his family. And it's like, uh, we get a shot of uh, the family all together. And then you get a little shot of uh, John Jr., who's played here by some kid called Noah Land, who never went on to do anything else. And it'll be later. Wait, you mean it's not that guy from the fifth one? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's a, it's a, it'll be go on then to be played by the ultimate and just white, boring slab, uh, <laughs> Jai Courtney. Ugh. Who was just. A, it's one of those weird things that, like, you know, Hollywood just periodically will try to force a character on, upon people. Like, they try to do it with Sam, Sam Worthington. Yeah, Sam Worthington was just like, <laughs> yeah. out, out one year, Sam Worthington was everywhere. And they were kind of like, you like this guy, right? And I was like, who is he? Like, I don't know why. He's just some, <laughs> he's just some foreign white guy with this normal store-bought haircut. And there's just there's nothing interesting about him. And then Jai Courtney was like a year later. He's like, well, try it again. And it's like, this guy's got a more interesting. <laughs> and he looks ex- <laughs> got a slightly more interesting name. But, <laughs> but he looks and acts and sounds exactly the same. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but... Uh, you see a little bit of family politics here, though, in that, you know, he has a, a group photo of them all together. And then because uh, John Jr. is the, you know, the youngest kid. And then he has a, a picture of Lucy all to herself, because apparently, according to the Die Hard wiki, uh, John was born, John Jr. was born in 84, but Lucy was born in 82. So she's like the first child. So I guess maybe she gets some sort of preference in his that he actually has a, a picture of her all to herself kind of thing. Well, you've got to have your favourites, let's be honest. I also so- think that <laughs> she... she I, I can vouch for that, I've got two kids. I um, <laughs> I, I think that uh, she's also established early in the film. She answers the phone earlier on in the film, so it's kind of like there's a visual through line there, whether as I think if, if you saw the son as well, because we hadn't seen him in the film, maybe the... They were worried the audience would suspect that maybe John McClane had pictures of other people's kids in his wallet, <laughs> and that'd be a, that'd be a very different film. He's a creepy cop. Mm. <laughs> the the little girl though who plays Lucy Lucy McClane in the in the the picture and you know in several scenes in the film is uh, Taylor McQuiston Fry, who apparently wait it's not the girl from the fifth one. The, the, the girl from the fifth one. <laughs> oh, we're getting to who plays her, but um. <laughs> But the thing is, apparently she also appeared in North, the terrible Bruce Way- or Bruce Willis, oh, Elijah Wood, that, Rob yeah. Reiner comedy that's just awful. Oh. Um, she's also in uh, A Little Princess, which I remember been out in the 90s, but I never saw it because it was just a thing. Like it, was, it wasn't marketed to me as a small young boy. So, <laughs> And then uh, apparently she was also in the TV series of Uncle Buck, which I didn't realize. Apparently there was a TV show of Uncle Buck. <gasps> I oh, only no. just found this out recently and it upset me. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> only lasted one season and the last six episodes didn't air so uh i can think it oh but uh apparently then she uh did it have john candy in no no some other guy just no. a, a, a john candy light you know kind of fell, oh. fell brought into cover yeah and then she went on she graduated from notre dame high school in 99 where she was uh with fellow actors rachel bilson who you'll know from uh the oc wasn't it she was in She's up and around for a bit, but like she was in the OC. I remember that. No. And then uh, Rami Malik, who is friggin' oh, Mr. Yes. Robot. Uh, so, ah, oh, I love that show. Let's do a Mr. Robot review show. <laughs> but then uh, <laughs> apparently um, she went on to the University of California, and then she's gone on to become 
an ultimate frisbee player as her career. Oh, like that's what she does. I played that in high school. <laughs> that was amazing. Although I once caught the frisbee in such a daring attempt to save the day and went hurtling headfirst into the football mm. post. But it's, it's weird because like she... <laughs> that, that was painful. Is that your superhero origin story? It is. That's how I became Frisbee Man. Well, that's kind of like yeah. a... Um, that's a blessed life, though. That's just like, oh, you went from like a little girl and Die Hard, you were an actress for a few years, and now your career is an ultimate Frisbee player. I was like, that's insane. <laughs> yeah, how do you make a career out of that? I thought that was just people messing around in the yeah, park. Yeah, it's just one of those things. It's like, I'm sure everyone everyone has static. Everyone's had problems in their life. But that seems like you have a pretty blessed existence there. <laughs> but then, of course, um, should also mention as well that Lucy McLean went on to be played in the fourth movie by um, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, who went on to be Ramona Flowers and Scott Pilgrim versus the world. And she's actually had, like, this year is like the year of, or this past two years, she's had, like, a big career resurgence. I, I feel like the past few minutes have been pretty similar to what it's like to have you two as Facebook friends, which is you guys refer to loads of people on American TV who I've never heard of <laughs> very casually and conversationally, having big responses to all of them and everything that they've done, often referring to TV programs that I've never heard of. And I'm just there going, what, what are the, what's going on? I am lost. That's why we're a delight. <laughs> yes. So should we even mention the cut we get now get to the terrorists? There's no time! <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so then we come back to McLean picking up his phone and he's ringing Argyle, the limo driver slash best Damn. character ever, which I'm sure you can't disagree with. <laughs> I think with. my, well, kind of uh, just did, but... <laughs> <laughs> you, you cannot disagree or you're wrong. He, he comes out with my favorite, my favorite line for a while anyway, where he says, I'm kicking mm. it down in the garage. Yes. <laughs> hanging out with a stuffed bear. Well, that's the thing, because like, yeah. this is where I was, I was alluding to bringing this up uh, earlier, because he's blaring this song, and this song is... Oh, yeah, I looked into the song as well, because I didn't I know what I also looked before. into the song. We'll all say after three what the name of the song is. The song was one, two, three... Skeletons. Skeletons. Was Minute. <laughs> I thought there's not, it doesn't really apply much to the film. But when I combed through the lyrics, I found yes. something I liked in the lyrics. Oh, have you guys as well? Um, yeah, it says something about uh, going up the wazoo, which I thought was quite funny. Oh, okay. We've got different ones then. So I'll do mine and then I want to hear your, your lyrics. So I, I particularly thought that this was built into something. There was a line, it's getting ready to drop. It's getting ready to shock. Somebody done turned up the heater and uh, it's getting ready to pop. I thought, oh, it's like the tension's building in the movie. Yeah, yeah. Do you want to go with yours, Ricky? Like, or whatever. No, no, go ahead. Oh, no, because uh, mine wasn't a specific lyric. It was more like, because the whole song seems to be more about like skeletons in the closet and all the, you know, it's kind of like the, uh, the hidden, you know, hidden bits and bobs. Like, there's a whole sort of, uh, you know, go into the history of the song or anything like that because it's actually quite successful and whatnot. And it, uh, it has sound bites from Oliver North and Ronald Reagan and stuff in it. Oh. Really? Uh, and it's also featured in Grand Theft Auto Five. Yes, yes. But it seems like, well, yeah, it's, it's all these allusions to like uh, you know the things that are hidden that are about to come out and all this sort of stuff. And it's kind of like you look at this and like what well, the setup of the scene is like was Argyle with a stuffed bear. It's like. What like skeletons has he got in his closet? Like, what, is, what are you Ooh, trying to allude to here, Stevie Wonder? You know? So we want an Argyle origin story, is what you're saying. Yeah. Well, the thing is, do we want it? Because if, it, <laughs> if it's him with this bear, I don't know if we want to know any more. <laughs> <But. laughs> the Die Hard prequel comic should have been Argyle's story. 
<laughs> but then it's kind of like that's what I was saying about it in the past. Because like, well, it's, it's it's we hear it when he's referring to you know like oh how how's things you know going with the old lady kind of is this you know the the, the script kind of flat out tell you like oh you know what John McClane's been up to the matter strain the marriage. But the fact that, you know, there's a song playing in the background about, like, skeletons in the closet and things that are about to come out and stuff, it's kind of like, you know, was he here to come clean to Holly about something? Was there maybe an affair that he's hiding? Is that why the song was chosen? It's like, yes, you know, so when people look into it, they'll be like, oh, maybe they're alluding to McLean's got skeletons in his closet and stuff. Oh, no. He couldn't cheat on her. He loves her. Um, I haven't haven't told you... (laughs) I haven't told you my favorite lyric. Oh, yeah. He says, up the old wazoo. There you go. That's my favorite bit. <laughs> that is fantastic. I'll give you that. You've won. Thank you. You've won. Um, I, I, I think, no, I don't think they chose the song because of any, although I do think there is a, there's a parallel there. I think they chose the song because it's so brash and it was just a, oh, yeah. It was just a good way to kind of have him ring up and suddenly she's like, and like, yeah, um, <laughs> just to reinforce how, how brash he is. But it is funny that they were cutting to him. What's he What's he doing? Chilling in the garage? Mm. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's <laughs> kicking it, kicking it down in the garage. But that cuts away to him hanging out with the teddy is funny. Yeah. I don't know if you're afraid of his chilling though, because he seems to be having a full on party. Like he's, <laughs> yeah, he's got the sunglasses on, on. He's really he's dancing with the music. Like he's just like, he's having a great time. <laughs> That's what yes. I do when we're recording these shows, you know. I'm partying it up. I just hope he hasn't had any illicit substances. Up the old wazoo. <laughs> <laughs> I get the impression it's possible. <laughs> He's in full party mode, you know. Yeah, there's a, like the, he does do one thing, though. I do have to admit, slightly put me off him. Whereas it's that he doesn't make any motion to turn down that music while McLean's on the phone. <laughs> That's basic manners. Like, he just goes, someone's on the phone. Oh, yeah. If you're blaring music... Turn it down for the not if not for them, then for your own sake, because you you're not going to be able to hear them properly. Like it's it's, it's insane oh, to no. me, but because because could be the the, the folly of youth. Because what is our guy? He's like what nineteen twenty at the most, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Oh, he's young. Yeah. yeah. Mm, so I um I I hopefully I'm going to roll the dice and say that my brother doesn't will never listen to this. My brother calls me. And he only calls me on his lunch break in work. And that means that he's eating as he calls me. And it's the only time he calls me. So I can't be like, well, I don't want to talk to you now. I'll be back later. So I have, to, I, have to, I have to, it's as if his mouth is like an inch away from my ear as he's chewing through his food. I would take some brash 80s Stevie Wonder over that any day. Oh, yeah. Do we have anything else on Argyle before you? Yeah. I mentioned earlier that like, the, it's the contrast, isn't it? It's that Argyle is there to kind of, he's like the young, uh, and he listens to hip hop, and he's like the um, the surgeons in popularity of Black American youth music in the late eighties, and how that kind of hits headlong with uh, John McClane's sensibilities, and it, it, I think so. I think that's why he's as loud and and playful and outgoing and brash as he is. It he comes close to being. He comes close to being a stereotype sidekick character. I, w- I was tempted to say I don't think you'd get away with with anything quite so obvious as that nowadays, but I have seen the film Ant-Man. Oh, I did like Ant-Man, but I think I know what you're going to say. Yeah, All of his mates are like cartoon character foreign people. Like he's got the Russian fella who's the criminal. Uh, well, they're all criminals. <laughs> that doesn't help. And uh, but it's the it's the South American fella 
He was like, your home's essay. And he's got like his, uh, his like cholo shirt yeah. buttoned up at the top. And it's like, yikes. Surely there must have been a conversation about this at some point. You'd think so these days. Yeah. But uh, no, I, I understand fully what you mean. I don't know, I, I appreciate that. But at the same time, I actually like liked the character, though, because I just enjoyed his like the, <laughs> the roundabout ways he would try to like, start telling a story. And then just go off on this little tangent, and then they'd have to be like, "No, no come, come on, back! What, what, what were we saying? Well, originally, what were we talking about there?" Yeah. And it's always the stuff that like, he started talking about, like a, a heist in an art gallery, and then he'll start going into like, "You know, and I said there was this, you know, beautiful Cubist thing, and I'm not really into Cubism, you know. I really like, I really like impressionist paintings myself." And he just go off on a little tangent. Yeah. Like, Wait, but no, go, no, go, go, go back, go back. What were we saying? <laughs> that was an element that I enjoyed, but I understand what you're saying in terms of like, yeah, Michael Pena's character is just like, this is very stereotypes <laughs> that's oh yeah <laughs> um, well speaking of stereotypes we cut back to the the germans now <laughs> stereotyped and diehard what the the invading germans the invading germans very blonde yeah then we just get you know leading into the next minute we get carl swaggering in with his uh is you know what they call them it's kind of masks you wear when you're you know blow torching something and uh, a big yeah. old chainsaw and then, what's he going to do? <laughs> we'll have to find well, um, You missed the most important bit. He has beautiful, well-conditioned locks. <laughs> well, I mean, we I'm can talk... envious of that hair. That mane is gorgeous. Yeah, well, we can talk about hair fetishism tomorrow, John, if that's what you're, if that's what you're wanting <laughs> to get into, by all means. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm done with the minute, to yep, be honest. Uh, that's me. I'm out. <laughs> so, you're, you're not here for the week, Ricky, so uh, I don't know if you want any, any parting... Shots at Die Hard or uh, anything before we wrap up? It's 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 good, isn't it? It's it's a it's a good <laughs> film. It is excellent. And you know what else is excellent? Me and Niall, we've got our own podcast. Woo! That minute eighty nine. That is just beyond the pale. It's the greatest podcast in the world. You've got to listen to it. I will say that if anyone's sitting through this, going like these guys keep saying, "Oh, I think this may be kind of." Uh, a lot. Um, we do. We're much more well researched than the Batman at one, so yeah. I think there's a lot less of that. Although, ironically, I like Die Hard even more. Oh, well, there you go. Uh, but yeah, yeah, yeah. You can find us on Facebook at the Batman Eighty Nine Listeners Society, and on Twitter at Batman Eighty Nine. And uh, in regards to Die Hard Minute, you can tweet at Die Hard Minute, or there's the Facebook page Die Hard with a Podcast Listeners Limo. Hell of a mouthful yet again. Or there's the, the, the big site, the old big site, diehardminute.com. Uh, and if you'd like to catch up on other Movies by Minutes podcasts as well, which I'm sure you will want to because you'll have heard us and been like, ah, oh, this is the best thing in the world, then visit moviesbyminute.com for more information. And that wraps it up for Minute 22 of Die Hard. So join us again tomorrow because we'll be back once again with Minute 23. So yippee ki Mr. Falcon. Tell me you got that. I got it, I got it. Hit your heart on Channel 5. <laughs>